We are talking about rest today, a divine rest. But before we get into that, I wanted to share, I've been seeing different articles about uh, how foreigners see us Americans. So I wrote down a few. One of them's from Forbes magazine. It says 17 weird things Americans do and think they're normal. One of the things they say is we're loud. We talk to strangers. We drive too much. We're too patriotic. We wear our shoes indoors. And we are nosy. Most of those I like, all right. From USA Today, 20 weird things foreigners say about Americans. TMI, we give TMI, too much information when talking to strangers. Americans smile too much. Well, that's an awful thing, isn't it? They should stop emailing after work hours. What I understand, Europeans, nine to five, when the five comes, they quit emailing. We're around the clock. Some of y'all experience that from your preacher. Americans are gear freaks, meaning we like all our electronic gizmos. Again, they say they're too loud. And then why do they have to be polite all the time? And finally, from Business Insider, the article's 23 things that are considered normal in the U.S. that the rest of the world finds weird. It falls under work, just one of them. And this says, according to research from the Center for American Progress, the U.S is officially the most overworked country in the developed world. Some people in other countries can't believe how much work we do, how long our hours are, how we eat our lunch at our desk, and how we don't take advantage of vacation time. Some other countries offer six weeks of paid vacation time as a standard. That's not the case here. In many surveys, Non-Americans mention how often Americans work almost all the time. And in fact, Bloomberg Research says only about half of our Americans use all of their vacation days. Some reasons that are given for not taking vacation is they don't need it. They worry about falling behind at work and they feel bad for coworkers having to take up their slack. So Americans are a busy, industrious people. I'm proud of that fact, and I think it's one of the reasons we're the most powerful nation in the world, and that America is a place where almost everyone in the world wants to come and live for the opportunity. But we do go all out almost all the time. Matter of fact, I was challenged this week on my sermon title Kind of, kind of indicated I might be kind of hypocritical talking about rest, but I do rest, at, uh, and so I do do that, and we're going to talk about rest today, and we need rest. We push ourselves hard. We play hard. We put tremendous strain on our bodies, and our health shows that strain. So we need to take time to smell the roses. It's important to look around us, to enjoy. I, years ago, when I was driving into Atlanta, we came in from the west, a friend and I, a co-worker, and we would come up 
to the west side of Atlanta, and then it dropped down to the, to the Chattahoochee River, actually. And we'd see the sun coming up over the city of Atlanta, and it'd be a bright red ball a lot of times. And I remarked on that, how beautiful it was to see the sun coming up. And my friend looked up, and he had never even paid attention to it at all, thinking about just getting where he needed to be. Too often we do that. We don't stop to just enjoy God's creation, what's around us. And God gave us an example of taking rest early in our creation. In Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, we have, by the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So very early in the creation of man, God gave this example of working. He had worked six days creating everything that we have about us. But then on the seventh day, he rested from his labors. Now, admittedly, Creating the whole universe with the stars, planets, and moons, and creating the earth with the foliage, animals, and humans had to be a lot of work. But come on now, he's the supreme creator. He's the all-powerful God. He, he has that eternal power of everything, and he stopped to rest. It'd be a good observation to make that God didn't need to rest. It certainly didn't strain him to do all the creation that he did. And so perhaps it's for our benefit. Perhaps it's a lesson to us of the importance of work hard, but rest hard. And so God did that. He took time and he told us that we need to take time to rest, to recreate ourselves and to catch our breath and relax occasionally. When I first came to be with you, I shared a, a sermon about Elijah, and I used a quote from Vince Lombardi, the football coach of the Green Bay Packers, and that quote was, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And there's so much truth in that. Vince Lombardi had several great quotes. When we get tired, we react differently than when we're rested. Being tired reduces our drive. It stifles creativity, it sours our behavior, and we snap at others impatiently. A good friend of mine at the last church I served, Don Barnett, had learned my moods, learned when I was getting a little too fussy, and he would use the old Snickers commercial. He'd ask me, you need a Snickers? Because I was getting hangry, acting like I was hangry, and I knew what he was saying. A good friend, he was, he was saying, chill out a little bit, Wes. And we get that way, though, when we're tired. It can sour our behavior. We can snap at others. We lose our optimism, and we tend to look more negatively at others in our world. When we get tired, it's easy, easy for us to simply give up and quit trying. I saw a quote recently that offered, when you get tired, don't quit, rest. So often when we are having struggles, when we're running into problems, when we get tired, we want to just quit and give up on everything when all we really need to do 
is to slow down, rest a little bit, and attack it again on a fresh day. There's something to be learned about that. That's good advice. But too often we do want to quit. As children, we fussed about having to take a nap. How many of us can't wait to get home this afternoon and take one? <laughs> Amen. Now we wish we could have a nap. We want to have that nap. Leave us alone. Let us sleep. But as children, no, no, no. We want to keep going. We like nothing better than a nap in a comfortable chair. Turning on, for me, it was NASCAR racing. I could turn on NASCAR racing and like that, I'd be gone and wake up for the end of the race. But we always got to have that iced tea nearby, of course. Resting, taking it easy. We need, and by we, I mean me, need to rest by going outside, taking a walk, enjoying God's creation. You know, I, I really appreciate the work that's been done outside on our church. I appreciate every Sunday morning driving up and the grass is cut. Jamie gets out there and takes care of it. It's nice and neat. We have flowers blooming from people who planted those back in the spring, the purple, the yellow. It's beautiful to drive up. We need to pause to enjoy that. We need to sit on a porch with a good friend and watch the world go by. We need to spend some time with the Creator, reading His Word and dozing off. I'll tell you a secret, though. It's okay to fall asleep reading God's Word. In other words, and, and, and what could be better than reading His Word, digesting what God's saying to us, and then to go to sleep with that being the last thing on our mind? his sweetness of his word, his encouragement, his love for us, basking through our minds. Uh, Dr. Stanley used to teach that only God can impact us when we're sleeping. That through his person and through he, who he was, he can affect our minds. Our enemy, Satan, doesn't have that ability. He needs us conscious and aware in order to impact us. So falling asleep, meditating on God's word opens up our mind and heart to what he would have to say to us. And he can minister to us through our sleep. So it's okay to fall asleep listening to the word of God. Not in the next 30 minutes though. I need you awake, okay? But it is good and, and that is a blessed time to be sitting, reading, praying, and just let yourself go ahead and drift into that peaceful moment, thinking about God, praising him for his goodness, talking to him about the concerns on your heart, because he's listening the whole time. He's aware of what we're saying, of what we're thinking, and he ministers to us through that time. So don't feel guilty if that happens. Other times, yes, stay awake, do your Bible study, pay attention to what you're doing, but it's okay to doze off in the midst of God. He understands. So we do those kind of things. We rest in Him. We enjoy His creation. We enjoy the beauty of what's around us. We give Him praise and glory for music. My mom had a little saying she gave me one time. It was like one of those license plates you put on the front of your car. He who sings praise twice. 
that as we sing, we're singing back to God, his glories, his mercies. And so we do that. The Bible is full of references about rest. Christy sang about one that I'm going to say now. Matthew 11, 28, 29 is one I quoted last week. It says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy labored, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. In a way, that verse is a, is a, is a, a conflict and a conundrum because it says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke to me signifies work. When we want to get uh, our mules to pull a plow, we put a yoke on them and they, they do that work. And so that yoke to me means work. But one of the things is I think about this yoke is a yoke for two, me and Jesus Christ. He joins me. He comes alongside to help me in the work. And just having a friend there helps to have energy, helps to keep going. To have Jesus there bearing part of the load is an encouragement, is a help. And so that yoke is easy. It becomes easier as we work with him on the things that he would have us to do. And so he says that, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. What a beautiful thing. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your souls. That rest is, is so important. Our souls need that rest too, not just our physical bodies. We get tired, we get weary from the struggles of the day. We get tired when we exercise, when we do work and our bones are sore, but we can rest, we can sleep, we can take some nourishment and rebuild that strength. But the soul's a little different, our spirit's a little different when it gets weary from the constant struggle. It can be hard to replenish, and usually about the only way is to get alone and to get restored and to spend that time with God is a good way. The psalmist wrote in 16, 8 through 10, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Decay. We have that assurance in resting in the Lord that he upholds us, he undergirds us, he's with us, he strengthens us, he never abandons us. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. He's always there and we can rest secure in that. He won't let us go into a situation that he is not there with us, that we can't handle. A lot of times we wish he didn't trust us so much with the problems he gives us but he sees us through. There's, a, there's an old saying that if he gives it to you, he will see, it, see you through it. He will empower you to do what he wants you to do. And so that's a rest to know that, that in what we're putting on, what we're taking on, what we're trying to do, God is there with us, caring for us, 
Sometimes we feel like he's distant. Sometimes we feel like he's not aware. But then we rest on the promise of his word. That's taking it by faith. That's taking the fact of the word and not going by our feelings. Our feelings can betray us. Our feelings can lie to us. Our feelings can tell us he doesn't care. He doesn't know what's going on. But that, of course, isn't true. And so the psalmist there realized that, that he could rest secure. He could go to sleep at night knowing he was in the hands of a loving God. He could get up the next day and do his task, perhaps go into battle, perhaps take care of the sheep he was to tend, knowing God was there sustaining. And so our account from Psalms is referring to that fact that we can rest securely in God because he's by our side. And he will not abandon us or let unscreened harm come our way. Listen to this great promise for believers from Psalm chapter 1. This is a great passage. I've committed this to memory. I'm going to read it now and not trust my memory. Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on God's law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish, leads to destruction. So as we think about those verses, we think about the one who walks with the Lord, who meditates on his law, and it draws this picture of a tree planted by streams of water, receiving constant nourishment. It it has foliage, It bears fruit when it's supposed to bear fruit, and it is nourished and it grows and it has the richness of the soil. Or those that don't follow God, that don't trust in him, that don't listen to him, and it likens them like chaff, which is that husk around the wheat. And in the olden days, the way they got rid of that was they would be on a threshing floor and they would, would agitate it, but then they'd throw it up in the air and they'd let the wind blow the chaff away and the good wheat would fall back down into the threshing area. And that's what it relates to with the wicked, that they're like that chaff that the wind just blows away and it disappears to be thought of no more and the good remains. I think it's so much more promising and restful and desirous to be that tree planted by streams of water, the streams of God's mercy, the streams of his love, the streams of his provision. And because of all that, I can rest. I can do my task, but I can rest in him that he's providing, he's leading, he's guiding, he's directing, guiding my path, and I can be secure in that. We can rest securely in life. We don't have to push so very hard. We can take time to enjoy life because we have a God who loves us, 
who wants to be our friend, who watches over us. Another rest that's talked about is in Hebrews chapter 4. And it's a, it's a long chapter, really involved. But let's read some of the verses there. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I will declare on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest, and yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today this he did when a long time ago he spoke through David, as in the passage always already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Kind of a very involved, logical uh, discourse there referring back to the Israelites when God led them to the promised land. He had everything laid out for them. He had gotten them there. He had provided for them. It was ready for them to go in and take it, and they refused. They disobeyed, and that angered God, disappointed God. He said, you're not going to ever enter in. And that generation that did not enter died in the wilderness, and the next generation then, having learned, went in, obeyed God, and they did conquer the land, the promised land of Canaan. And so they did not enter their rest but that's not the rest that God is referring to here. He's talking about that Sabbath rest, that final rest, that seventh day rest of when we go home to be with the Lord. And he teaches us that there is still this rest coming, that even though we rest day to day, that we all as believers in him look forward to that Sabbath rest when we go home to be with him, when we are free from the troubles around us in this world. So God's word is saying that those who believe in Jesus Christ, there's coming one day a Sabbath rest. This is the time we'll be released from the trials and tribulations of this world. On that day, we will enter heaven and we will enjoy peace like we've never experienced here on earth. But that Sabbath rest or final rest is not automatic. One must choose to embrace it, and that embrace is at the foot of the cross 
where Jesus died for your sin nature. It comes from acceptance of Jesus as Redeemer and Savior who cleanses us from all sin. I'll recount again how I shared with you last week that God gave us a spirit of liberty. He gives us liberty. He doesn't force us to his will. He allows us to choose him, and we can choose his reward of his infilling here on earth and his help day to day and eventual reward in heaven, or we can choose to refuse it. We can deny it. We can say we don't want it. He doesn't force us in any direction, but he makes everything available to us, reaching out to us, bidding us, calling us. And when we receive that gift, we receive that Sabbath rest. We have that assurance now while we're alive that one day we'll have that eternal peace. So my prayer for you today is that you know this soul rest that you rest securely in this world because you know him who holds the world in his hands and included in his hands is you. You've decided to take his yoke and work alongside him. To do that, you do need to surrender to him. Not surrender who you are, not become some robot or automaton. We don't become some rubber stamp blob of a human when we accept Christ or we yield our lives to him. We'll still be each like we are, like he created us with all our, our, our wants, warts and promises. But you will have chosen to accept his work on your behalf and you will have chosen to let him guide you in a way that you should go using your knowledge and your experience and who you are being who you are in your uniqueness and your abilities and your talents, serving God, letting him bless others through you. That's what surrendering is. It's not giving up, it's assuming.